You are listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale closes out our sermon series, Unforgettable Christmas. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. We want to say Merry Christmas and welcome to Glendale Christian Church. Thanks for being here on this Christmas Sunday and as we celebrate the birth of Christ. This morning as we get into uh, the message time, we're going to wrap up our series that we've been in for the last several weeks called Unforgettable Christmas. And over the past several weeks, we've been exploring this idea of of what makes an unforgettable Christmas. And so we looked three weeks ago at at Luke chapter 2, the the nativity story uh, that we call it. And we we pointed out there that the the important thing for us to see is that in Luke 2, Luke doesn't begin his, his account of that story once upon a time. This was, a real, this was a real event. It was an unforgettable Christmas because it actually happened. Luke begins his, his account in those days. It was his way of saying this really happened. Then two weeks ago we, saw, we looked at this principle. We saw the principle of sowing. And we said the principle of sowing is more important than what we say, especially when it comes to our relationships. In our relationships we've all experienced different things. We've all experienced disappointment in our relationships. But it's more important about what we sow into our relationships. So instead of sowing disappointment or, or unbelief, we were going to choose to sow belief and, our, and, and joy into our relationships. And we saw that through the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Last week, we, we kind of looked at the Griswold Christmas. We, we saw that the, the uh, first Christmas story, the first Christmas, was an unforgettable Christmas because it was in less than ideal circumstances. And we've all had those Christmases where, where you know, Cousin Eddie has showed up and, and it makes for a, an unforgettable Christmas because things just don't go the way that you think they ought to go. And in the very first Christmas, uh, Mary and Joseph were faced with less than ideal circumstances, but God still was able to be glorified because Mary and Joseph allowed themselves to be used by God. This week, as we wrap up our series, Unforgettable Christmas, we're going to be looking at the best gift that, that we've ever been given. Before we get into the message, though, I want to tell you about what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday, Brother Mike's going to be preaching, and so if, you, if you're looking for a day to skip, that's, I'm just kidding. That's, I'm just, Mike gets a better attendance, uh, and, I, and don't think that I don't realize that. So Mike, Mike uh, he's, he's preaching next week. And uh, if he doesn't change his mind between now and then, he's going to be talking about new beginnings. And I say that because that's what I want him to talk about. And so I'm going to keep saying that in public so that maybe he'll try to have to work that in. Then on January the 6th, we're going to begin a brand new series called I Love My Church. The first Sunday of the year, I Love My Church. And during that series, we're going we're gonna to see what is required of us if we love the church, and I'm not just talking about these four walls, although that's certainly part of it, but I'm talking about the church universal. universal. If we love the church, what is required of us? And so uh, also during that time, we're going to be uh, displaying some new shirts that Dave Best has designed, some new Glendale Christian Church that we're going to have uh, we're going to be taking orders on, hopefully, hopefully either next week or January the 6th. I'll have shirts here that you can see what they're going to look like. I can't wait for you to see what they look like because Dave just did a fantastic job designing them, and, and they look great. And these will be shirts that you'll be glad to wear out in public, and people will say, oh, you go to Glendale Christian Church, and you can say, absolutely, I love my church. And, uh, and so he's done a great job, and we'll be taking some orders on those that, that you'll be able to get. And so I'm really excited for that series and, and what's to come. But that's all 
yet still to come. Today we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, as Brother Mike told you a few minutes ago. And we're going to read some of it, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter 2. But it's the account of the wise men and the magi who, who come to visit the Christ child. And here's what I want us to see. Here's the, here's the big idea, so to speak, for the message this morning. Is that the wise men sought and found Jesus and they brought him gifts. It was a sign of their worship. Them bringing gifts was a sign of their worship. And we need to be like the wise men. If we're going to let our light shine, we need to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, as gifts to God. Paul says, that our, Paul says in the book of Romans that our, our, our sacrifice to God is the way that we live our lives. And so, so what I, that's what I want us to see as we look at Matthew chapter 2, is that, that if we want to be people who honor Christ, then we need to give Him a gift and it needs to be the way in which we live our lives. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, this is what Matthew records. He says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called them together, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen went and rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let me ask you this morning, how many of you have Christmas presents? We're two days away from Christmas. How many of you have Christmas presents underneath the tree already? Like most of you, okay. How many of you have already opened a Christmas gift? Anybody already opened a gift? I'm, we had our Christmas with my, with my family last night, and so we've opened a few. Now, the kind of the question that I expect a, a, a more gender-specific response how many of you still have Christmas gifts left to buy? Yeah, as men, I was looking for more men. I thought it would be more men, but surprisingly, it was, it was more women. Yeah, don't raise your hand too high there, Jerry. She's sitting right next to you. <laughs> A couple years ago, I, I, was, I thought I was the king of Christmas shopping. On December the 23rd, I went out at about 1030 at night. And I did all of my Christmas shopping for everybody that I needed to buy for. I had not bought a single gift up to that point and did it all in about an hour and a half. And got it home and, and by Christmas Eve that morning, all the presents were wrapped. I thought I was the king of Christmas shopping. I don't advise that. It's not a real good plan. Uh, but here's what I want you to see. Since the very first Christmas, the very first Christmas, gift giving has been a part of it. We just, we just read that the wise men came and they brought gifts. They brought gifts to the baby Jesus. Now, a couple things I, I should point out. They didn't come to the manger, okay? Matthew makes a point to, to say that they came to a house. In fact, we think it was probably about two years after uh, Jesus was born he, that the wise men showed up 
at this house. And we, we think that because Herod's going to issue an edict after he, he gets this information from the wise men. He's going to issue an edict that all babies two years and younger should be killed. He saw Jesus as a threat to his throne. He was king at the time, and he was expecting, he'd been told about the birth of a new king, and so he's expecting this king to rise up, and so he says all babies two and younger. And he get, we get that information from what they told, what the wise men told them, uh, Herod. And so our, our cute little nativity scenes that we always put out, you know, we, we get our, our, our baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men all there. They're not exactly right. At our house, uh, we put a little nativity scene out and I, I put all of the characters, baby Jesus, Joseph, Mary, and all of them. I put them on, on one side of the room and then I put the wise men on, all the, on the other side of the room because they haven't got there yet. And they're not going to get there for a little while. So we put them on the other side. But, but even... Even if they weren't there, they came for that reason, right? They came to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. They came to, to give gifts to a king. And you know, that's, that's really not that unusual. In fact, in the Old Testament, we read uh, quite a bit about people that, that would come visit Solomon, and they always came bearing gifts. Solomon was a wealthy man, and so what do you get a man that has everything? Because Solomon had everything, but, but every time we see somebody come visit Solomon, they bring him an extraordinary gift, a, a very extravagant gift. And Mary and Joseph, they were the recipients of, of some pretty significant gifts. Uh, they, they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, the, the wise men did. Now, we understand what gold is, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, if you gave me a bar of gold today, I, guess what, you'd be high on my list of favorite church members. And, you know, not, not what Jeff Key gave me earlier. <laughs> I'll explain this in a minute. But, but we understand what gold is, right? But frankincense, uh, frankincense was, was a, a glittering gum that, was, that you got by make, making some marks in the bark of trees. So it was, it was like a sap almost, but it was, it was very expensive, and myrrh, it, it comes from a tree found in Arabia, and it was a very high-valued spice that was used in embalming. And so we all understand what happens when people die, and especially in the heat, you know, and think about they're in Jerusalem, it's hot. And so we understand the process of what happens there. And so people would take myrrh, and they would use it to put on the bodies to keep the bodies from smelling. But it was a very high-valued item. Scholars, both ancient and modern, have suggested that there is significant symbolism in those gifts, that, that gold might suggest royalty and that incense might suggest divinity and that myrrh would represent the passion and the burial of Christ. Well, D.A. Carson, a, a commentator who I have a lot of respect for, he suggests that these gifts were not really all that symbolic as that would just have required too much insight for the wise men to, to have known. But these gifts were rather, they were just simply expensive gifts not uncommon gifts, but gifts fit for a king. And the value of these gifts would be significant because Mary and Joseph, they're going to have to go on a little road trip here in a, here in a little bit. Herod's gonna, getting ready to make this edict that all babies two years and younger are going to be killed. And so Mary and Joseph, they've got to get out of town. And so they're going to head off to Egypt. And, and we all know this about taking a vacation. It costs money, right? You no know, vacation's free. It, it costs something to travel. And so they're going to have these gifts, this gold that they can buy stuff with, or this frankincense and this myrrh that are expensive uh, valuables that they can trade and they can, they can use to barter. And so this was going to finance their trip. And so D.A. Carson simply suggests that these were not 
necessarily symbolic gifts as much as they were practical gifts. These were very practical gifts that would help, that would help Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. Either way, whether they're symbolic or practical, either way, they were simply good gifts that the Magi gave to Jesus. Now, if I asked you to think about the best gift that you've ever been given as a Christmas present, how many of you could think of like something right off the top of your head, like you know the best Christmas gift you ever got? How many, how many have, a, have the best Christmas gift? Mary, what was the best Christmas gift you ever got? I'm going to put you on the spot. A horse. A horse. All right, that's a good Christmas present. Bill, you remember, you remember that Christmas well? How many, who else? Who else has? All right, Shelby, what was the best Christmas present you ever got? Money. Money. That's always a great gift. Always a great gift. I, I know I've told you all this already, but when I was five years old, 1989, I was five years old, I got a Teddy Ruxpin from my grandparents for Christmas, and it was a great gift. Um, a couple of months ago, I think Bryson got a Teddy Ruxpin right for his birthday, and Ava was showing it to me, I, and, and they don't look anything alike anymore. They're, they're, the new Teddy Ruxpins have been modernized, and they, they don't have tape player in the back. I think they're Bluetooth enabled now, and that's, that's I think, still pretty cool, but, but it, it was a great present. Um, Jeff Key got me a present, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you can look and see, and you just imagine what it is. And there's a story behind this, a funny one, but but it's yes. Well, Mike will tell you. Uh, and there's a story behind that because of something I've had in my office. I I had a cat litter box in my office for a while, and uh, there was some practical jokes that were played, but. But either way, like, so when they gave me this this morning, I thought that's, that's a perfect gift for me because it fits my sense of humor. It, it really is a good gift. But you know what? Today, if I were to go look for that Teddy Ruxpin, I'm sure it's at my dad's house somewhere, and it's probably under a mountain of other stuff. If I were to, to look for it and I found it, you know what I would notice about it? That it doesn't work the way that it used to. You know, when the tape player doesn't work and the mouth doesn't move and the eyes don't move and the vest is faded and, and it just doesn't have that same shine, that same appeal that it did 30, almost 30 years ago. You know why? Because it's just stuff. You know what happened to the gifts that the Magi gave? They were used and then they were gone because it was just stuff. And I don't want you to miss this because, and, and, I'm, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't enjoy the gifts that you give or the, enjoy the gifts that you get. I'm not saying that at all. It, by all means, enjoy them because there's a, there's a certain thrill about getting a gift and, and a certain thrill about giving a gift. There's, there's some enjoyment there. So don't, so don't think that I'm saying don't enjoy those things. Absolutely enjoy them. But at the end of the day, it's just stuff. The real gift that the wise men gave, and they gave another gift that we often overlook, but there was a real gift that they gave, and it's found in verse 11. And I don't want you to miss this. Go back and read what it says with me. It says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. That was the real gift that they gave. They gave worship. That was, that was an infinitely better gift. They worshiped the Christ child, and that gift was far more valuable than any gift that we could, we could ever give or we could ever receive. To be able to worship Christ is a far greater gift than, than we could ever imagine. And what better gift, what better gift would it be to give our children 
than to give them the gift of Jesus, to give them the ability to be able to worship Jesus. That I, I'm telling you, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, if you want to give the, the children in your life, whether it's, whether it's kids, grandkids, aunts, or nieces, nephews, if you want to give them the best gift that you can give them, show them how to love Jesus. That will be an infinitely better gift than you can ever give them. Far better than what money can buy. Far better than any experience they can have. Show them how to love Jesus. And I'm not talking about just coming to church on a Sunday morning and singing a few songs and reading a couple verses and getting your check marked for the day. I'm not talking about that kind of, of loving Jesus. I'm not talking about that kind of worshiping Jesus. I'm talking about being able to worship Jesus in the good days and in the bad days. In the ideal days and the less than ideal days. If you want to show your kids what it looks like to love Jesus, you have to show it to what, what it looks like all the time. It's not, just a, it's not just a check mark. You know, I came to church on Sunday and I got my check mark. Good for me. That, that doesn't instill worship into your kids. And at the end of the day, because here, here's what I know about gifts. At the end of the day, there will be a new game system that comes out. There will be a new iPhone that comes out six months later. Your, your stuff will be obsolete. Clothes will tear and they will, they will go out of style and they will fade and they will, they will ruin. But you know what? Jesus is never outdated. Jesus is never obsolete. Jesus doesn't wear out. Jesus doesn't, doesn't fade. He doesn't ever go out of style. I think that the gift that our children and our, our parents and our churches and our communities need more, our, our culture, what it needs more than anything else is it needs the gift of Jesus. We got plenty of stuff. We live in a world of, of over, overflow. We live in a world of surplus. We got plenty of stuff. What we need is more Jesus. And adults, this is why this is important for your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews. Because Proverbs 22.6, in the King James, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You notice what the proverb writer says there? He says, you must train them up. You must train them. I'm pretty sure I've used this analogy before, but if I'm going to run a marathon, I should train for it, right? I mean, that would be a, that would be a good idea. I mean, I could read all of the books about running and all of the books about what diet I should be on and all of the books about what workouts I should be doing. But if that's all I do at the end of the day, when it comes race day, I'm going to be in a world of hurt. Because eventually I'm going to have to, to go out and actually train. And part of that training has got to be running. I've got to actually do some running if I'm going to run a marathon. The writer says, train up a child. That means more than just reading the Bible. And I'm not saying that reading the Bible is a bad thing. Please don't hear that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian any more than reading a, a, a menu makes me a chef. It doesn't. At some point, we've got to take all that stuff that we've read and we've got to put it into practice. We've got to begin to use what, we, what we've learned from the Scriptures and, and, and apply it in our lives. And the sad reality of the American church is this, is that we are far more educated than our obedience requires. We are far more educated than we have the capacity for obedience. Eventually, I've got to do what the Scripture says. If I don't do it, if, 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 I, don't, if I just read it and never actually apply it, never actually use it, never actually do what it says then all I've done is just educate myself. I've just made myself a smarter person. But at some point, I've got to train. I've got to take what I've read and begin to use it. You know, that whole love thy neighbor stuff, 
At some point, eventually, I've got to actually love my neighbor. You know that do unto the, do unto the least of these things? At some point, I've got to actually do unto the least of these. At some point, the rubber has to meet the road, and we've got to do what, what the Scripture says. And so, so parents, if, if there's one thing I could tell you, begin to show your kids now what it looks like to serve Christ. It's one of the reasons I have said many times that our kids are not the future of the church. They are not the future of the church. They are part of the church now. Okay, They are part of the church now. So we need to begin to show them what it looks like to serve, to, to serve Christ and to serve people now so that when they are old, they won't depart from it. Notice it says, train up a child, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But if you don't train them, guess what? There's a high chance that they will depart. And right now, there's a generation of young people who are walking away from the church, who are leaving the church in, in droves. The college age, the, the millennials, and even, and even the younger uh, Gen Xers, they are leaving the church in, in droves because they have read all the stuff. And they, they know that their parents have read all this stuff. And here's the thing, they never saw it put into practice. They never saw it put into practice, and so they said, that's not anything that I really want to be a part of. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. They say this, but they don't ever actually do it. And so they've left the church. They are leaving the church by the thousands. And that's exactly the opposite of why Jesus came. He didn't come for people to be more educated. He could have stayed in heaven for that. You all realize that, right? If he just wanted us to know more about him, he could have stayed in heaven. He didn't have to come to, to earth. He could have stayed in heaven for that. Mark 10, 45 makes it very clear why Jesus came. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. He showed us what it looks like to love God and to love people. And at some point, we've got to, to emulate that. We've got to love God and we've got to love people. And the best way that we can do that is by serving them. It's hard to tell a man that Jesus loves him when he's hungry, isn't it? You know why? He doesn't listen very well when he's hungry. You know what you do? Serve him, feed him. Jesus said, if you feed them, you know, you've done, this, you've done this for me. Feed him, and then you can tell him about Jesus. We've got to serve people. And now, and let me be, all, be real clear on this. All the good works that we might do, they're, they're not going to get us into heaven. Okay? So I'm telling you, we've got to do more good works. We've got to do more good works. But that's not going to get us into heaven. You think, well, why would I want to do more good works then if it's not going to get me into heaven? Well, so let me be clear about this. We are saved by grace through faith. There's not anything that we could do to deserve it. We are saved by grace. But the good works that we do, they might just be the key. They might just be the thing that takes someone el- that, that someone else notices and, and it catches their attention and it opens their eyes to Jesus. We don't do good works for our own benefit. Okay? We're not... We're not we're not getting extra points in heaven because we've done so many good things, okay? We need, we need to understand that. We do good work so that somebody else might see Jesus in us. And they, in turn, might become a follower of Christ. And for me and my money, I think that's the best gift that we could ever give. That's the best gift that we could ever give. The gift of Jesus. 
I think that's the best gift that we could ever get, but it's also the best gift that we could ever give, the gift of eternal life in heaven with Jesus. I think that makes for a pretty unforgettable Christmas. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we, we thank you for this Christmas in which we have the opportunity to show the love, to show the hope, the joy, the peace that you give us. We have that opportunity to, to share it with those around us. Father, thank you for those gifts. The gift of salvation. The gift of hope and peace. But Father, thank you more, more that they are gifts that are shareable. They're gifts that we can that we can give to other people. So Father, give us the the, the boldness, the courage, the wisdom to know how to do that. To to share those things with people who are without hope, who don't have any joy, with people who are lost. And so, Father, we, we just want to honor you. We want to thank you for, for loving us. And in turn, we want to honor you by, by sharing the message of Jesus with the, all those that we can. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.